take your Bibles this morning. I'm going to wrap up a series that I've been going through entitled A New Government of Love. A New Government of Love. And this entire series has been around how we properly and rightly relate with each other. Aren't you glad we're under a new government of love and not the old government of law? Good, half of you. Maybe you're happy with that. (laughs) How many in here are glad we're under a new government of love and not an old government of the law? Good. The law required that you perform, and performance is awful. If you've grown up in a family or been around it um, where you are a person where you have to perform in order to receive love, I'm sorry. We can get healed. We can get healed. God does not require performance of us. Does he enjoy when we live at a fullness of who we are and just enjoy life? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Think about this for a moment. Me being imperfect, you being imperfect as a, a mother or a father, do you find joy when your children come into their own, find out who they are, start discovering how, what God has created them to be, how much joy we find in that? How much more does our Heavenly Father, when we discover who we really are, does He really relish that and love that? I, wa- I love watching it with my kids as they're growing up. My oldest is 20. I have my daughter 14 and another one that's 9, almost 10. And watching them in their, their stages of life come into their own and find what God's speaking to them, their desires, the God gifts inside of them, seeing those things come to the surface. All I want to do as a father is help encourage those things and bring them out. Why? Because that's God's thumbprint on them. Is this making sense? How much more does God feel like that with us? Well, I believe there's a lot of things that we miss out on in our destiny, in our future, simply because we have a misunderstanding of who God is and how we're supposed to relate to each other. When I started this season, or this series, I brought up the fact that Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Guard your heart, for from it springs the issues of life. Guard your heart, for from it springs the issues of life. In other words, everything that happens in our life concerning relationships, it's coming because of something going on right here. We have seen through love after marriage, um, testimonies, we, people that we've talked to, Um, how God can come in and so restore damage that has been done in the heart for so long that has caused relational challenges and relational problems. It all happens because of stuff that's happened in the heart. So the whole core of what I've been wanting to go through with this series on a new government of love is us coming into a place of recognizing that we need to get healthy in our soul. John 3, 2 says, I would that you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. In other words... Our, the way we live our life is directly connected to what's going on inside of our heart. I would that you would prosper and be in good health. So you've got prospering in the world, right? And then you've got physical prospering, that you would prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. I'm convinced more and more that when people are not prospering and flourishing in life, and they're not finding the abundant life that Jesus brought, more times than not, it happens because there's something going on in the soul. It's been damaged. It's been hurt. And we've all been hurt. Now, I'm not saying we need to go look for, look for the devil under every rock. I'm not saying that. But we do need to start recognizing if we keep doing the same things in our life and getting the same results and we're not happy with those results, that's the definition of insanity, right? 
So it might do us some good to start taking a look and going, what's going on inside? Why do I feel the way that I feel? I've shared with you before. I'll share with you again. For the large majority of my life, I didn't know what emotions were. I was under the, under, under the impression that as a Christian, you just don't let emotions come up. That emotions are bad. Church emotions are not bad. They're very healthy. They're very healthy. They don't lead us and they don't direct us, but we need to identify what they are. I only had really two emotions, anger and the absence of anger. Those were my two primary emotions. It's how I lived. It was either I'm on a status quo, just kind of floating through. I didn't ever find myself really being filled with joy and happiness. I was either angry or just didn't have anger. I know that I'm not the only one in the room, right? Mainly because I didn't know how to identify my emotions, my feelings, and how to speak them out. It's important that we do that. We've learned so much about that in that process of this love after marriage class, and I know the single life workshop, you're going through it. Why is this important? Why are we landing on this? Because we as the church, and I've grown up in it, we have spent so much time trying to improve ourselves on a spiritual level. And what it leads to is performance. We think that, man, if I could just prophesy a little bit more, somebody will see me as a more mature believer. Mm Mm-mm, sorry. Did you know that all the gifts of the Spirit found in 1 Corinthians 12, those gifts that we love so much, of prophecy, of word of knowledge, of healing, of faith, word of wisdom, of tongues, interpretation of tongues, did you know all those things are, you ready? Free! They're absolutely free! In other words, you can't do anything to earn them. He gives them right there. Holy Spirit says he distributes as he wills. He gives those things out. And by definition, charismata, gift, means free. It's absolutely free. So you get them for free. How many want to prophesy more? Yeah, the word says burn with passion for that, to prophesy more. Burn with passion. Go after these gifts. Burn. It actually says to lust after them. That hard to go after them. But listen, just because we walk in gifts does not make us mature believers. Hello? Should I say that again? Just because we walk in giftings does not make us mature believers. Gifts are free. Maturity is going to cost you something. What does maturity look like? It means I need to look in and see what are my motives behind even what I'm doing. Have you ever heard, you probably have or probably seen it, read about it, people who in the body of Christ, who operate in incredible giftings. They can prophesy. They can give words of wisdom. Words of, they can read your mail. They know your address when they don't really know you. They know your address. They can tell you like what's in your house. They can tell you. You ever met people like that or seen people like that? Did you know that has nothing to do with spirituality? I mean, they're, they're in tune and they're hearing, but those are gifts that are free. How many times have you seen people do that and then they're just morally or something, they're corrupt? And we go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, how does that work? It's because the gifts are free, church. It's because they're free. You can operate in them all you want, but it has nothing to do with maturity. Maturity is going to cost you something. Well, Andrew, how do we mature? Well, I believe how we start to mature is we start to look at relationally what's going on around us. Do people find me life-giving? Not just fun to be around, but do people find me life-giving? Am I imparting the kingdom of God to them wherever I go? You hear what I'm saying, right? It's so, so important. And I believe, I'm going to say this again, I believe the whole thrust for why I'm spending so much time on this is because if you've been here any length of time, we are after seeing a sustained move of God where miracles, signs, and wonders become so much the norm 
that it's like, well, yeah, is there any other way? Is there any other way? I mean, that should happen everywhere we go. I want to see that happen, and I want to see it outside the walls of this church. Well, I believe I heard the Lord speaking to me recently and saying, Andrew, that's what I want to give you. If it's going to be sustained, you're going to need to be able to contain it. And we need to be healthy to contain it. If you look at any past move of God, it usually breaks down because man does something stupid. It's usually what happens. We make it all about ourselves or we turn it into a formula. We turn it into a program. We try to do something instead of letting it rest on these earthen vessels the way he intended to. And the reason why it usually breaks down is because we're just unhealthy. We, we, we don't know what it means to rightly relate to each other anymore. So we need to learn to guard our hearts for from it spring the issues of life. Guard your heart. Recognize that not everything that comes towards you needs to be let in. There's a centurion around my heart. And not everything that comes to me, not every person that comes to me and brings something to me, I let into my heart. And by the same token, not everything that's in my heart do I let out to every individual. There are certain individuals that get certain parts of my heart. My wife gets all of my heart. You guys don't get all of my heart. <laughs> you hear where I'm going with this though, right? Because from it spring the issues of life. And if there's issues in our life, it has something to do with the soul. And, and, and I love that when John writes it. I would that you would prosper and that you would be in hood be in good health even as your soul prospers. So this morning, I want to end it by talking a little bit about covenant. What does healthy living in covenant look like? Now, covenant's one of those words that we have thrown around a lot in the church. You hear it a lot at weddings, and it's right. Some churches, you'll hear it more than others. But I don't know that we really understand what covenant really looks like, what biblical covenant looks like. First of all, we have to establish that covenant and contract are two different things. They're absolutely two different things. Covenants are based on one person saying, I'm fully, fully devoting myself to you if I come into covenant with you. A contract says, well, I'm going to devote a part of myself to you, but if you're in a contract with me and you don't hold up your end of the bargain, I'm not required to hold up mine. Right? How many realtors do we have in here? I know we have a few. How many in here ever bought houses before? Okay, come on. If you bought a house, you know what it's like. At some point, you signed a contract, right? Now, the contract is inherently based on mistrust. Correct? It is. It's inherently based on mistrust. You will do this, and I will do this. But if you don't do your part, I don't have to do my part. And if you've ever gone through it with a house, you know what I'm talking about. We had that happen with the house we're in now. Some things were supposed to be cleaned up around the house, picked up, and taken out. And that was the seller's job to get all that stuff done. Day of closing, we go there, and the garage is full of trash. And the realtor said to me, it's a breach of contract. If you want to let it go, you can. Now, I was looking at a bigger picture, so I didn't let the house go. But you see what I'm talking about. Because of that, I could have let that thing go and said, I'm not obligated to do anything and walk away from it. That is contract by nature. Covenant is completely different. Covenant says, even if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, I'm still going to hold up mine. Hmm. There's a big difference in that one. Boy, church, if we could really start to understand what covenant really is, it would change our perspective. I see it happening in marriages where it's more of a contract than it is a covenant. Somebody screws up over here, well, too bad for you. And even use the Bible to get out. Don't get me wrong. Marriage is God's design. It's the closest thing we have to God's covenant with us. 
It is. Marriage is God's design, and it is the closest thing that we have to God's covenant with us. But please understand, when Jesus says that in heaven they're neither married nor given in marriage. Why? Because we, coming into covenant with each other, we fail and we break things all the time. It's an earthly picture. Nobody's married in heaven, but the picture is very, very important. And I believe for us as believers, as Christians, if we can catch the heart of God inside of what covenant looks like, it would radically change the way we relate to each other. I see it happen in church. People get, will come to a church and they'll like it, but as soon as there's something that starts to rub wrong, what's the easiest thing to do? you out the door. Wow, that's so unfortunate. It's so unfortunate that our culture even allows that, that we let that happen in the church. I'm not talking about going after police and people and tell them. I'm just saying when people can't have a healthy conversation about something that hurt or damaged them, and it's, too, and it's easier just to bolt, then we really don't get this whole thing of what God's trying to do. I'm telling you, I will declare it right now because I've seen it happen and it's happened in our own marriage. My wife has biblical reason to leave me. But I'm telling you something, we have found something way better. Way, 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 way better. Way better. If we could really understand what covenant really looks like. So in order to understand it, I want to take a look at two specific ones. Look at Genesis chapter 15 with me. Everybody in the room still with me, right? Oh, boy, could we get it healthy? Good. I'm going to declare right now to every marriage in this room, tenacity, follow-through, hope, healing. Every marriage in the room right now. Come on, this should be good. Even if you're not married right now and you're wanting to be married, how many are single in here and you want to be married? Okay? I am declaring right now, even over your future over your future, that you will understand what covenant is. And when you enter into it, it will be something beyond what you've ever understood before. And I say that it will remain. It will remain. I love to see how God works through covenant, through marriages. I love to watch that. Don't misunderstand me. If you've gone through a divorce before, I'm not picking on you. This is not, a, I'm not, this is not about that at all. I am just simply saying, if we can really come to a place of understanding God's design in all this, man, will we move so much further? down the road wouldn't it be great just for me as a pastor i think it would be great to see people instead of just bouncing around church to church to church anymore understand what it really means to get connected to people and go you know what even when it gets difficult i'm not going to bail that's what real love is this new government of love it's not the world's definition of love it's god's love that's the new government of love where it says no matter what happens i'm going to stay i'm going to keep myself vulnerable i'll keep experiencing exposing my feelings and my heart to you, and I'm going to trust that God is going to work this thing out. It requires an incredible amount of faith to do that, though. Okay, Genesis chapter 15. We have the story here of Abram. Um, Beginning in uh, verse 7, it says, Then he, God speaking to him, Abram said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me three, a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all of these to him, cut them in two, down the middle, placed each piece opposite of each other. But he did not cut the two birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcass, Abram drove, drove them away. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. 
Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. Come on, that's a good promise right there, isn't it? I want to live to be a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, I won't break all that down right now. What I want to stick to is this, what's happening, verse 17 and on. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, and all those other people that are rights. <laughs> Understand something here. When covenant happened, this was not God showing Abram a new way to do covenant. This was culturally how covenant worked. They would take animals, they would cut them in two, and they would lay the halves apart from each other. And the two people who came together saying that we're going to walk in covenant, or we're going to enter covenant, would walk between the two halves together. You guys understand that in marriage ceremonies, that's what's happened. That's why there's usually the, the, uh, the groom's family on one side and the bride's on. This is all pictures of what covenant really looks like. And they walk right between them. There's meaning behind all that stuff. And when I marry people, I want to talk to them about this. There's significance in this and what we do. We honor that. So when they would take two animals, cut them in half, the two parties would together walk between the two halves, signifying to themselves and to everyone around them saying, so be it to me if I don't live up to what I'm promising to you. Let me become the same as that. Is this making sense? Here's the thing. We in our failed humanity have a hard time holding our end of the bargain up. Would you agree? How many times have you said, God, I make this promise to you. I make this vow. And then we end up failing. Here's the beautiful part. In the story here, Abram and God did not come down between those two halves together. Do you know who came down it? Just God. It was only God. He condescended, took himself way below the person of Abraham and said, I understand you don't have the ability to do this. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go through it on your behalf. Abram didn't walk through it. God came through it. That picture of the oven and the torch, that's God. That's Yahweh himself coming down between them. And he's saying, I am still making the covenant with you, even though you're the inferior party. You're the inferior party here, but I'm going to condescend. Now, fast forward a little bit. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, a new covenant I make with you. We know that because of what happened with Abram, we have the people of Israel. We have the entire tribe, right? All of them, that what he's speaking about there, the 400 years, it's when they're enslaved in Egypt. The Egyptians have them, they're enslaved, but they come out with great wealth. We know what, that's all a picture of something. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, yeah, a new covenant I make with you. It's the covenant of my body and of my blood where Jesus himself was broken. Jesus himself bled. The sacrifice was him. Listen, church, here's the beauty. You ready for some good news? This is the gospel right here. The covenant Jesus entered into with us was unilateral. Just like the covenant God entered into with Abraham, it's all him. It's all him. Come on, somebody say amen to that. It's all him. Aren't you glad for that? 
because you, don't, you and I don't have the ability to say, I will hold up my end of the bargain. We don't have the ability to do that. That's why it all comes down to the person of Jesus. Everybody say, it's all about Jesus. The sum total of life is all about Jesus. Say that with me again. The sum total of life is all about Jesus. Yeah. Man, as a pastor, teacher, I just want to pound that in. I want to pound that in over and over and over. It's all about Jesus. The minute you think you can add something to the equation of Jesus, you're missing the entire point. It's impossible. It's impossible. You've heard me talk about this before. God, Ephesians, one of the best books. I love Ephesians. It's one of the best books in the Bible. One of my most favorite of all says in Ephesians chapter 2 that while we were still dead in trespasses and sin, he made us alive and made us sit together with him in heavenly places. When we were dead in trespasses and sin, church, how many decisions do dead people make? Zero. When we were dead in trespasses and sin, in other words, the, the absolute inability to access righteousness, holiness, sanctification, purity, perfection, zero ability to access that, what happens? Jesus comes along and he says, you know what? I'm condescending to the point where I will become, I will become the sacrifice. I will become the one who makes the covenant with you. This should really, really help us. Is this helping you? This should really help us in even how we view the world around us. Because did he die for the world? Are some of you unsure about that? Did he die for the entire planet? How many sins are forgiven on this planet? Oh. So it's not an us and a them. We're not the ones in the know and they're the ones that are in the not know. We've all been brought into this thing. Ooh, am I stepping on toes now? We've got a lot of people who are saved on this planet. They just don't know it yet. We've got a lot of people who are forgiven. They just don't know it yet. Hello? Is this twisting your head a little bit in this? Because we cannot afford to live our Christian life with an us and them attitude. We were once outside. He has brought us in. That's what he's done. That's what he does. It breaks down, and it's very simple. I, 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 somebody brought me a while back. They brought me a tract. Yeah, I am going to step on some toes. Just get ready. They brought me a tract, and it said, this is such a great tract when you're doing evangelism and stuff. And in it, it said this. It's, getting, it's talking to a person, and in the tract, it says to the person, if you will ask God to forgive you, he'll forgive you. Mm-mm. Sorry, wrong. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, guess what, dude? God forgave you before you even asked for it. Hello? Why is this important and in the context of covenant? Because we still, as a church, I don't think we grasp what it means what Jesus has done. That this covenant that he's brought us into is so complete, so perfect, so wonderful, so awesome that it takes all of the work off of me. It says of Abraham who entered into covenant with God himself, it says of Abraham that he believed God and it was accounted to him as what? Righteousness. Righteousness. 
How did he get into righteousness? He believed. All of Romans chapter 4 is dedicated to that one thing right there. The entire chapter of Romans 4 is dedicated to God bringing back to remembrance through Paul, writing to the church and saying, everything comes back to this. Abraham, he believed God. He believed God. He entered into a covenant with God, the kind of God that says, I call things that don't exist as if they do. And I've called you into that covenant with me. And he entered into it for one simple reason. He what? Believed. Somebody quote John 3.16 for me. That whoever what? Oh, there it is. It's not perform. That whoever performs. For God so loved the world that whoever measures up, whoever performs, whoever gets the right sequence of prayers together, whoever memorizes enough scripture, whoever prophesies enough, no, whoever believes. Come on, come on. Somebody getting free in this room? Are there varying degrees of our belief and unbelief? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I believe that all sin, all of sin is a result of unbelief. It is. It's a result of unbelief. Hello? I just don't know if I have you with me. All sin on this planet is a result of unbelief. Jesus comes along, Romans chapter 6, you can't deny it. He takes the entire sin nature and eradicates it. Hello? People are leaving. I don't know if that's a good sign or what. I'm an equal opportunity offender. Jesus comes along. Don't take my word for it. Look at, the, look, at the, look at the Bible. Romans chapter 6. We were buried with Christ. You can't say, well, the devil made me do it. You can't say it's my sin nature. Nope, it's not. When we sin, and I sin, I still do it. But John, 1 John says that if we sin. It doesn't say when we sin, it says if we sin. Right. Meaning we have a way out. Right? With every temptation that is made, we have a way out. Absolutely. So sin is simply a result of unbelief. I hope this is making sense. Maybe I should bring this down into practicality here just for a minute. Um, Part of this process of my wife and I going through this love after marriage class and going through it again, um, and 25 years of being married, of discovering that there was a lot of challenges that we faced in our relationship that where we wouldn't talk to each other about certain things. And on my part, it was because I believed that if I were to tell her something, that she would either blow up and get mad at me or she would leave me or she would do something. And so therefore, I held it in and wouldn't say anything. And in, in doing so, it created this rub between us. I'm trying to make this practical here. In other words, my belief or my unbelief caused the issue. And belief is something that happens in the heart. Romans 10.10 says, we believe in our heart under righteousness, not our heads. You don't get Jesus by your intellect. It doesn't work like that. Your intellect gets affected, but it doesn't come from him to your head and into your heart. It comes from there to your heart and then up into your head. That's what the renewed mind is all about. Oh, yeah. I can feel something on that. But my belief kept me from walking in intimacy with my wife. So it's either about belief or unbelief. That's, where, that's the economy we live in right now. 
I'm going to read something that I didn't intend on reading. Everybody loves, everybody loves John 3.16. Shall we take that a bit further? John 3.17. For God did not send his son to the, into the world to what? Condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what? And the light comes on. He's not in the process of judging. He's not in the process of condemning. Is there a day of judgment? I'm getting my preach on now. Is there a day of judgment? Yes, it is not today. We don't live in that age right now. We will. There's a bema seat. There's a judgment seat of Christ. We do not live in that day. Jesus did not come to condemn. He didn't come to judge. He says, I came to save. Why is this important in the context of covenant and what we're talking about? Because we still in the church carry some level of judgment towards other people who don't line up the way we, we think they should. We want behavior modification in the church. We don't want spirit transformation. And that's the only thing that the Bible has in it is spirit transformation. Anybody grow up in the church here? Hello. Do you know what I'm talking about? Can I get an amen from you? It's been so long that the church has preached behavior modification. You do this, you don't do that, you do this, you don't do that, you really don't do that. Yeah, Yeah, right there. And all it does is make us perform. And it does nothing with the condition of the heart inside. It breaks my heart time after time after time when I talk to people who aren't churched people. And they don't want to come and be a part of a church because they don't know how to act. That breaks my heart. What are we saying? What are we putting out to a world that we're saying to them, you've got to act a certain way in order to be accepted? God, help us. We don't know what covenant is anymore. We've been brought into a covenant unilaterally through him. And our belief in that will change our lives as we go on believing the truth. Listen, get as much of this into you as you possibly can. Get as much of the promises of God into your heart as you possibly can. Why? Because it changes your belief system. I grew up in the church. My dad's a pastor, church planner, born on Saturday in church on Sunday. I've memorized so much of this because of the school that I went to. But I'm telling you, until we start to understand that it's the spirit of God that transforms us from the inside out, not from the outside in, we're going to mess this thing up. Jesus has entered into a covenant with me and he says, Andrew, I don't care what you do. I'm never going to leave you. Never. Never. Now, that might be stepping on the toes of some that might have a theology where you can lose your salvation, but trust me, you can't. You absolutely cannot. (laughs) Yeah, it got kind of quiet, didn't it? If you don't believe me, go look at John 15, verse 16 and 19. It talks about it. It says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. You didn't find me. I found you. Do all of us have a point in our life where we come to the revelation of who Jesus is? Absolutely. Absolutely. The spirit moves throughout the earth and he's convicting the world, the entire created order of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And at some point, because of something that happens in life, each one of us comes to a point where we go, oh! He's the Christ. He's the son of God. Listen, guys, I grew up in the church. I remember recognizing as a four-year-old that I needed Jesus in my life, but it wasn't until I was 32 till I actually met him. And when I met him, it was like, oh. 
salvation has come. How else do you explain somebody growing up in the church, knowing the word of God, even prophesying, but living in 16 years of addiction? And then all of a sudden, I have an encounter with him. And then all the addiction stops. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Not your word I've hidden in my head. I had a ton of it in my head. He's brought me so awesomely into him. Is that a word? I'm going to use it. Awesomely into him. So perfectly that the entire time I was in the middle of my addiction, you know what he was doing? He's going, son, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm right here. Even when I said to him, I'm done with you, I'm done with your church, and I don't want to have anything to do with it ever again, and walked away. He's going, I'm not leaving. Church, this is what covenant really is. Covenant says, it doesn't matter. He's standing there the entire time. Come on, do you feel this? That Jesus is there the entire time. He looks at and he sees absolutely everything you do, but he's not condemning you, saying, you piece of dirt, you worthless piece of skin, you, you wasting somebody's good air. We think things like that. That's a lie from the enemy. That's demonic. It's wrong. He did not come to condemn. He came to save. And even in the middle of my addiction, he's sitting there the entire time, and he's saying, I'm right here. I'm right here, son. I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm right here. And how much did it break his heart? Not because of the things that I was doing, but because I wasn't accessing him. He's not afraid of that sin. He's not ashamed of it. He's not hiding from it. He's he's right in the middle of it the whole time. He's right there with me. He never, ever, 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 ever leaves us. Ever. Come on, are you getting something out of this? I know what it's like, guys. People in this room, I know if we were to be honest, if we were to take everything that's really happened to us, and even in the course of this week, some of us would be ashamed if it were put up on the screen up there, right? I would. I've had thoughts that are like, not so much. That's not good. I don't want that broadcast on the screen up there, but you know what? I hold on to this one thing that even he's right in the middle of that. And it's not like he's condoning it saying, good boy. He's saying, son, I'm right here. You don't need to get derailed by that. I'm right here. I'm right here. Church, I'm prophesying over you this this morning. There's covenant. There's covenant that God has brought you into that you may not have fully accessed it yet. I haven't fully accessed it yet, but I am saying I want to be healthy. I don't want to believe lies anymore. I want to believe the truth so that my life begins to represent him more accurately. My life, I used to think that I would represent him more accurately if I would prophesy more, if I could preach the word better, if I could sing better, if I could lead worship better. It has nothing to do with that. Nothing. We've got to get past this stuff in the church and quit performing and acting. There's a covenant he's brought us into and he's just saying, I'm right here. Can you yield? Can you stop your stinking thinking for a little bit? Do you trust me enough that even what you think to be true about me, that you can lay that down? That maybe I want to show you just another part of who I am. I really got off here. Covenants, they can't be broken. They can be violated, but they can never be broken. They can never be broken. Yeah. Why? Because you're not the one holding it together. So then what does that mean for us? 
Andrew, how do I operate in this then? Well, the self-life has got to die. The self-life has got to die. Not in order to enter into the covenant. You're already in the covenant. But if you want to learn how to live healthy, you guys know what I'm talking about. If you're married in here, you know what I'm talking about. If you want to have a healthy relationship with your spouse, there are parts of us that are ongoingly have to die. Well, this is what I think. Well, how, does that, how well does that work out for you? How many arguments have you gotten into with your spouse and you've said, well, I think this, you think that, well, you say this. And how well does that go? Listen, my wife and I would do that. We would get into those kinds of arguments. We've learned, and we're learning more and more, that that kind of stuff, is, it's pointless. It's pointless to go down that road. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. There's nothing good comes out of that. We got to die. But it's the self-life that's got to die. What do you mean, Andrew, the self-life? It's that kind of thinking that thinks that we know best. It's that kind of thinking that says, well, they're wrong, I'm right. Hello? In John chapter 12, verse 23 and 24, Jesus talks about this. He says, unless a grain of wheat fall to the ground and die. Well, that's what it looks like. You know, you can't get life out of something until it's dead. It's, it's part of God's created order. A seed, he's using the example of a seed here. The seed, as it comes off of a tree or off of a plant, until it dies, it can't reproduce again. And what he's talking about here is bringing life. How many of you want to have life come out of you? Like abundant life. Like wherever you go, you're infectious. You're just like people who don't even know you go, man, I want to hang around that dude. I want to hang around that dude. There's something so fun and life-giving about that person. And it's not because they have just a great personality. It's because there's something innate inside of them. Well, how does that happen? It happens when our self-life dies. What does the self-life look like when you come into contact with new people? What do we do when we come into contact with new people? We size them up, right? We start to size them up. What do you do? Well, this is what I do. Well, how good are you at that? Because I'm this good at it. No, we don't talk like that, but we think like that. We spend so much time when we meet people. How many times? No, everybody's guilty of this. You meet somebody, they tell you their name, and two minutes later, you can't remember their name. Why is that? Because we are so busy thinking about how we're going to respond to them or what we're going to say to the individual that we're not even listening to what they're saying. I'm bringing this down to practicality here, church. This is how the self-life dies. When you're more concerned with what's going on in the other individual than you are inside of yourself. That you're saying things like them. We've learned, we're learning how to do this better. That even with my wife and I, when she says something, I'm not sitting there thinking, okay, I'm gonna, here's how I'm going to respond to that. Okay, okay, I'm going to get over that. That's not, okay. I'm thinking all that in my head, not even hearing what she's saying. When really, dying to self-life means that I'm sitting there listening and I'm going, how is she feeling? What's going on inside of her? And then when she says it, I say, okay, this is what I hear you saying. And repeat it back to her just to see if I'm actually hearing her correctly. Oh, novel idea. Um, what am I, why am I saying this? I'm just giving some practical application to it. We've had the spiritual stuff for so long that it's been impossible to access and bring it down into transformation in the life. This is what we need. Dying to self, it's what it looks like. Covenant means we lay down our lives for the other person and for their benefit. This is so difficult because people hurt us, don't they? And when they hurt us, no more covenant. You hurt me. I don't want to be anywhere close to you. 
Well, here's what real covenant looks like. You hurt me. I'm not running away from you. I'm going to tell you that you hurt me. And I'm going to speak how I feel. Is this making sense? It doesn't mean we condone bad behavior. I'm not saying that. Please don't misunderstand me. We don't condone bad behavior and let things happen. But we say, you know what? When you said that or when you did that, that really hurt. That can be one of the most difficult things for a person, for me to hear. If somebody tells me something about what I did and it hurts and that's all they did. If they get like angry and start, it makes it a whole lot easier for me to defend myself. But when they say things like, man, Andrew, when you did that, that really hurt. And that's all they say. Man, do I really want this relationship? Do I really want to stay connected to this individual? Then what do I do at that point? Man, I am so sorry. It's not what I want. What I want is to walk in an open, healthy relationship with you. Church, this is what covenant looks like. We, as the church, have been brought into covenant. And when you've been brought into covenant through Jesus, and I've been brought into covenant with Jesus, that means now we're a part of a family. And guess what? You can't bail on this family. I see people who try it all the time. They get hurt by the church, get offended by the church, and they run off to try to do this weird whatever and all that. And it just, it, it, it just, it's so unhealthy. It's so weird. Instead of saying, no, this is the church that hurt me, but I have to recognize that I can't separate myself from them. I'm just going to declare right now, even in a moment as I'm speaking it, those in here who have breaks in your natural family, that right now, Holy Spirit, begin to breathe on those relationships and bring healing with parents, with siblings, with children, with grandparents, that right now Holy Spirit begin to breathe on those things, give you words of wisdom, give you a heart to recognize that this is part of the reconciliation that Jesus does. He does it all the time. There's no reason for breaking families. There's no reason. I'm not suggesting that we let people do bad things to us. I'm not. But I am saying it's up to us to communicate. That really hurt. Is this making sense? This is what covenant really looks like. It means I don't go anywhere, and I don't go anywhere because I know that I can't go anywhere. And if I try to go somewhere, I'm hurting myself. When covenant is truly in a culture, in a church, and I'm praying that God would really reveal to us how we truly walk like this, when it becomes part of a culture and it's inside of us that covenant is established, then then we begin to see genuine transformation. We begin to see genuine transformation in people. Why? Because there's a safety There's a safety inside for people to talk about how they feel, to talk about what's going on. And then we can get all the junk out of the way. Nobody has to perform anymore because we're not under the old government of the law. We're under the new government of love. And this is what love really looks like. You you guys ever play word association games? You even know what I'm talking about. Somebody will say a word and you will say the first thing that comes to mind. I was doing this one time with a friend of mine. And they used the word, they, they said love. And the first word that came to my mind was death. I think that was God speaking to me. Because that's what love really is. You look at Mr. Love himself, what did he do? Died. So that's self-life. It's got to die. It's got to die. We don't know what love is until something inside of us begins to die and we start saying, oh man, I got to look out for you. I got to look out for you. I got to look out for you, and I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to leave. If you offend me, you hurt me, you do whatever, I'm going to look out for you. Because love is death. 
We know God is love. We know that. But he modeled it. He was the exemplary model for us. It came down to death. Wow. There was, there's a story. Because we're so selfish in the way we live, and this is how the self-life does it. We just, we're all so selfish in the way we live. It's just about feed me, give me something. I want to... There's a story about a guy that I believe in the natural, this would really help us. He was a farmer, and he grew corn. And this guy could grow the best corn in the county. It was the absolute best grade A prime corn anywhere. And he would always win and get blue ribbon for it. He would get blue ribbon. He had blue ribbon corn. And you know what he did with his corn? He decided that he was going to take part of his corn. He was going to give it to everybody around him. To all of his neighboring farmers, he was going to give them that corn. Why did he do that? Because he understood something. That if he kept it to himself, his corn over time would no longer be the best corn. But if he gave it to his neighboring farmers, that as that corn began to grow and that pollen would blow across his field and grow across their field, he would start to recognize now everybody gets in on this. Now everybody's got really good corn. You see what's happening here? If covenant means then I'm not looking out for my own needs. That's not my primary interest in life. My primary interest in life is living like Jesus did where I'm looking out for the needs of others. And I'm saying, I don't care what you do to me. I'm not going to let you hurt me. But when you do, I'm going to tell you that. You hear what I'm saying? I'm not talking about living in unhealthy relationships here, codependent things. I'm talking about just simply saying, I'm going to learn how to say, I will, as Danny Silk says, I'm keeping my love on. I'm not turning it off. I'm not going to turn it off. And what you do will change maybe the way we relate a little bit, but I'm hoping that what will happen is we will come closer together. Boy, God help us. What would that look like if the church started to do this? Where we stopped hiding behind the performance. And let me show you how much I know about the Bible. And let me prophesy a little bit more over here. And let me do this. If I pray for this person and they get healed, look at me. Look at what's all over me. Yeah, come on. Let's aim a little higher. Let's aim a little higher. I know people that can pray for people, and the people they pray for get healed all the time, but they are no fun to be around. I don't want to live like that. Everybody stay with me.